You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Half-truths and hot air. My gosh, I think we need to change that intro there. It's all lies, as we will discuss today. But anyway, welcome back. This is The Conservative Conscience and your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is Tuesday, April 4th. We're already into the month of April. My gosh, this year has flown by, and sadly, nothing has been done. Nothing has changed, almost nothing, um, despite the sea change that was supposed to arise from this election. You know... For today, I want to discuss the most important issue of the week. Now, in a really busy news cycle, you're probably wondering, well, man, what's the busiest, what's the most important story? Is it the Neil Gorsuch nomination and the vote and blowing up of the, of the filibuster? Is it still this debate over how not to repeal Obamacare, but claim you're repealing it and lie about it? Um, those are all important. You know, is it the fact that Republicans are talking about tax reform, but yet instead of talking about any tax cuts, all they're talking about is a, a border adjustment tax, which is basically the creation of a new tariff that's going to kill consumers and open up a new revenue stream to grow government. That's all important, but not talking about that. Is it the fact that the State Department is literally run by Democrats and Tillerson said he wants to cut a deal with the Taliban? Nope. But we'll talk about that at, another, at pretty much a later date. Is the fact that Jared Kushner is literally running the world. And by the way, how in the world does that guy have time to inject progressive policy into every single issue and still go skiing in Aspen? I don't get it. I mean, I admire a guy that has 50 hours in a day that could just screw up so many things. But who elected him? Well, we'll talk about that at another time as well. And, you know, certainly there's obviously the entire scandal of the Obama administration spying on an incoming administration, the Susan Rice comments, her being caught in the lie. Mark Levin, I mean, my gosh, our our leader here at Conservative Review, he called it, and he was more right than he even knew. (laughs) Um, That's certainly very important. But, you know, Mark's covering that. Others are covering that. I just, I have a limited amount of hours to even, you know, just cover what's going on. What I want to talk about is the budget betrayal. Yay. <laughs> no, no one's talking about that. I know you're thinking, what, what budget? What budget? This budget battle embodies everything that is wrong with the Republican Party. It ties in all the themes we've really put together from the last number of weeks worth of podcasts. You know, this binary garbage, this, you know, starting off where the Democrats are instead of what's right and being one tranche to the right of Democrats. This business of the soft bigotry of low expectations, what we should expect, and oh, don't be a purist. We could get half a loaf when it's really nothing. The lack of understanding of how far to the left we've all drifted in terms of our expectations. It all ties together, and and once you understand that, you'll understand with the Supreme Court stuff and the filibuster and the Obamacare stuff, everything makes sense. 
after we understand this budget battle. You know, budget is everything. The budget is really, it's not just a matter of controlling the spending levels, but that's really the time when you could prioritize your policies because, you know, funding makes the world go around. And if you defund priorities, if you want, you know, for example, if you want a border fence funded and refugee resettlement or Planned Parenthood not funded, well, you're going to do it in the budget. April 28th, we have a budget battle. That's when the budget for the government comes due and you need a funding bill. Now, to be clear, well, for, first off, why why do we have a budget bill in April? It's kind of funny. Isn't the budget October 1st? Well, last September, when, you know, September tw- 2016, you're funding the FY fiscal year 2017 budget because fiscal year 2017 begins October 1st, 2016. And rather than fund a full year budget, the idea was let's kick it into the spring and let this election decide whose budget priorities will win. You know, why fund the full year based on this year when maybe we'll win and we'll want our priorities for for this fiscal year? Why wait until next fiscal year and have Obama sign off on, um, you know, a budget beyond his presidency? Right. That was the idea. And everyone agreed to that. So they passed a continuing resolution you know, kind of no runs, no hits, no errors until April 28th of this year. Here we come. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we see that this presidency, so far we've accomplished nothing. We've, we failed to change foreign policy, which, by the way, is the one area you could quickly turn around the ship without Congress, without the legislative process and the filibuster and the parliamentarian and, you know, blaming it on all the other impediments that, you know, if you really fought for what you believed and had a party, you can get around those. And we'll talk about that later if we have time. But nothing on foreign policy, nothing domestically, no priorities, none of my 20 immigration ideas, you know, nothing fiscally, no government reform, nothing. These kind of like random reg, you know regulatory nullification bills i mean the congressional agenda has been nuts and and you know the first 100 days is when you have all that political capital you go back to 2009 when democrats had the same um situation 8 years ago they got everything done I mean, they got the stimulus. They expanded healthcare. This is before Obamacare. They expanded uh, the S-chip program. Um, you know, they had they vote on TARP and all the bailouts and cash for clunkers. And you know, they didn't wind up getting cap and trade through, but at least they tried and they voted on it. All this was done. They had all those accomplishments. We have nothing. And by the way, you know, they didn't have sixty votes. They had fifty-nine at that point because Arlen Specter hadn't yet flipped. I believe he flipped sometime in April of 2009. So they didn't start out with 60 votes. But they got everything they wanted. They got what they wanted. And and, and so much so that this is what spawned the Tea Party. I know it's very nostalgic for many of us. It was this time eight years ago, early April, when it was really the month of April when the Tea Party took off. And it was in response to all of this. To everything they did, both legislative, executively, 
every at this point in 2009, every single nook and cranny of the administration, every agency, every office, every commission was peddled to the metal fiscal, social, and national security liberal. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you would go to the embassy of Guatemala, the U.S. embassy in Guatemala, um, I say this because I once did research and was looking at this, and I found, you know, you'd expect under the Obama administration, the Latin American U.S. embassies will be pushing, you know, open borders and expansive immigration because that's the issue portfolio that they deal with. But what I mean is that they promoted a cross-section of fiscal social and national security liberal policies. So at the embassy, they would celebrate National Transgender Day. It's a true story. You know, I saw this. And we're at a point where almost every agency is not only not conservative in a cross-section of issues, but liberal. <laughs> so again, the, the Obama administration was so potently liberal and they were accomplishing so much stuff that it spawned the, the Tea Party at this point in the administration. We've got nothing. Why did I give this preface to the budget bill? Because the budget bill is the last refuge for us. That is really the last opportunity to, to use a so-called must-pass le legislation and use that leverage to get your priorities, to get your priorities passed. And by the way, despite the fact that Democrats had their priorities, when it came time for that budget bill, they got what they wanted. They That Obama budget... Believe me, there was no, well, I'm scared of a government shutdown. Maybe 41 GOP senators, because they did have 41 at the time, will block it. No, and in fact, by the way, I looked back at the March 2009 omnibus bill. And again, I remember, it was a similar situation. Democrats thought that they would win the presidency. It was pretty apparent most of the fall of the previous year. So they kicked the budget into March rather than doing a full year and having Bush's budget, why not have a new Democrat president get his priorities? And you know what? They got their priorities. And by the way, I found that the following GOP senators, sitting senators, there's a couple more that are no longer there, voted for Obama's budget. Thad Cochran, Roger Wicker, Richard Shelby, Lisa Murkowski, and Lamar Alexander and Shelley Moore Capito, who's a senator from West Virginia, she was in the House at the time, and she voted for it in the House. <laughs> so there you go. Republicans always delivered the votes. Here we are. When Republicans want their priorities, and they are telling us that a Democrat minority in the Senate, so they have the House, Republicans have the House, the Senate, and the White House, but a Democrat minority, oh my gosh, they're going to have all the leverage. I'm scared. They're going to filibuster the budget bill. We're going to have a government shutdown. We're going to get we're going to get blamed for it. Folks, this is like getting hit by a parked car. Saying that you are scared of of budget brinkmanship and the specter of a government shutdown with the other side in control of a minority of one branch of government. But that's what they're doing. So they're caving on planned parenthood, they're caving on refugee resettlement. And they're caving even on the border, the, the funding for the border wall. Rory Blunt, the appropriator in charge of this, said they already gave it to Schumer. And Schumer's already spiking the football and celebrating. Why isn't Donald Trump going ahead and giving Rory Blunt and Senate GOP leaders the, the Twitter treatment that he's giving conservatives who want to uphold his promise on health care? Well, we made this point last time. You know, Donald Trump wrote in The Art of the Deal, the worst thing you can possibly do in a deal is seem desperate to make it. 
that makes the other guy smell blood and then you're dead. Right? This is pure common sense. Another part of Art of the Deal is you always ask for more than you want to get. Right? You don't start with nothing with a crap sandwich. You start with more than you want to get. Yet Republicans, I mean, the perfidy on this budget is unbelievable. They're preemptively saying, oh my gosh, Democrats, please save us. We don't want a government shutdown. Oh my gosh, tell us what it's going to take for to have you guys sign off and not filibuster this, and we'll give it to you. You know, we've been doing this for six years. I've, I've followed every single budget battle, or I've been involved in it, since Republicans took back the House. The first budget battle in March of 2000, March, April of 2011. And, you know, I remember even at the time, even just with the House, Republicans promised that if they win the House, they're going to defund certain things. Now, you're going to ask me, well, you don't control the Senate and the White House. But this is what divided government is, and this gets back to expectations. Sure, we know we're not going to get everything, but we're going to get something. We're going to get half. And, you know, the House of Representatives is where budget, budget start. That's They control it with a simple majority. And our understanding was, sure. And, you know, to talk about expectations, yes, we know we're not going to reinvent the wheel in budget brinkmanships and leverage Social Security reform, Medicare reform, you know, tax cuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're not going to relitigate things that will create a massive disruption. Where you have to do that through the legislative process, through a transition period. You got to do it right. And we understand that. But the understanding at the time was, that we the, the things that are absolutely offensive that are new and the public's against we are going to leverage against them so one was obamacare because keep in mind obamacare wasn't yet implemented yet so by defunding it you can nip it in the bud right now now you'll have the disruption so you got to do it through the legislative process which we can do through budget reconciliation but they don't want to do and, and and by the way don't mix up budget reconciliation bills with the budget funding bills it's a different different process. But anyway, you know, we'll defund the Palestinians. We're going to defund Planned Parenthood. Right? These are one-offs, one-offs. You know, it's not going to create a disruption like a dependency welfare scheme that you can't just def- defund carte blanche. This is something that's a very reasonable expectation. And that's your starting point and we'll get some of what we want. But Republicans started back then they started the following modus operandi. They said, "Oh my gosh, I'm so scared." We can't have a budget shutdown. We're gonna get we're gonna get blamed for it. But then at the same at the other side of their mouth, they tell us, "Oh, but don't worry. Wait until the FY twenty twelve bill." I remember they said that at the time. Then we'll really have Paul Ryan's budget and get the priorities we want. And I was like, "Well, if you're gonna tell me, if you're gonna preemptively telegraph the message to Democrats that you have a maniacal fear of budget brinkmanship and a government shutdown, then the same is gonna apply next time and the next time and the next time." I mean. But but it's always but that's that's the squirrel. Go chase the squirrel. They always point you to a shiny object. No no no. Let's not do this, but we'll do that. Even though the same irrational fear politically that they don't want to engage in the fight now, they're not going to want to engage in it later. And we went on and on. Then then we won back the Senate. So now we have the House and Senate. Now we're like, all right, now you control both branches. So certainly yes, you don't control the White House, but you know you start off asking for ten things, and we should get five things. We should get half of what we want. Um, you know, this is what Madison said in, in Federalist 51, that the budget was really the last recourse for, you know, leveraging what the people want. But what happened, if you remember, 
if you remember back then, we had the 2015, uh, the omnibus for FY 2016, the end of 2015, when they took over the Senate, and they caved on everything. And if you remember, Chuck Schumer got up and said, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year when they, they won the 2014 elections, they took over the Senate, that we would get everything we want with no conservative riders, the budget levels that we want, and we'll get more than what we asked for. That's what he said at the time. I wouldn't have believed you. But here we are. That's what Chuck Schumer said. So he didn't even think that they'd get all that. Okay, that was then. Now here we are with control of the House, the Senate, and the free. So, by the way, one thing I missed is they always told us that, oh, but Daniel, you can't go up against the bully pulpit of the White House, you know, when with a budget. But Congress always gets blamed for it. Well, now you got the White House. And not only aren't they going on offense, defunding Planned Parenthood, and refugee resettlement, codifying Trump's executive order, the one thing he did that was good, but now he won't fight for it in the budget. They are now jettisoning, unless Trump fights back, which I'm not hearing from him yet. I mean, it's not a done deal, but they're already telling the Democrats, no, we don't want the funding for the border wall. The most foundational promise of this administration, of of, of Trump's campaign, the degree of betrayal on that is unbelievable. So we're worried about Democrats and the minority winning a government shutdown. Now, a couple of observations I want to make here. Just the enormity of, 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 of these issues. Look at the cat and mouse game with Planned Parenthood funding. Notice how when, when we're talking about repealing Obamacare, a separate fight, they make it all about Planned Parenthood. Well, it, it, it defunds Planned Parenthood. By the way, it only did it for a year. But, dude, we're talking about health care, saving a health care market. I, I, Planned Parenthood is not the fight. That's not the issue. So they make it about the issue when it's not the issue. Now when we come to a budget bill, when it's the appropriate vehicle to say, we are funding our priorities. This is our budget as Republicans, and you have a fight over it. We are not funding a private organization, which shouldn't get funded anyway, that's under criminal investigation for trafficking baby parts. Nope. That's not even under discussion. That wasn't even a chip that was put on the table. Like, yeah, Democrats will give you this, but you have to give us that. No, that, that they got that for free. They never even fought that. And the executive order, you guys know that we are in big trouble with the judiciary. When uh, Words can't describe how... Courts could give standing to foreign nationals when there's no injury in fact, no legitimate standing, to create an affirmative right to immigrate and violate the entire entire Immigration and Nationality Act. That is very scary. Right? This is the subject of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. And by the way, we're not solving that with the whole Gorsuch thing. And I don't know if I'm going to have time to get that today, but maybe our second podcast this week, we'll do a post-mortem on this whole filibuster thing and Gorsuch and all the political capital we're expending, which is fine, but to not solve the problem of judicial reform, judicial tyranny. So anyway, this is so important that Trump, I mean, he had his lunch money taken by the courts. We have no sovereignty his, his administration is now out there bringing in 900 re- refugees a day. It's as if the election never happened on immigration. Nothing. None of our priorities. Nothing. Not demanding that the House take up 
you know, the Davis Oliver Interior Enforcement Act, um, getting rid of the Central American Rockville rapists. There's a le- legislation for that. John Carter's bill, H.R. 495. Nothing. No pressure for them to bring that up. Just pressure for conservatives to pass a fake Obamacare appeal bill that we'll get blamed for. So the budget bill is when you defund refugee resettlement, you defund visas from those six countries. Not only is that a good policy, but that is a way of Congress affirming we stand with the president. You are wrong. The courts are wrong. This is what the statute means. It is so important. That is not even on the table. The border fencing is the last thing that they're giving up on. That's the only chip on the table, and it looks like they're caving on it. Now, I heard of this third hand, so take it for what it is. I'm not going to give names. But just to show how stupid this the lawyers in this administration are, they're saying they're too scared to go ahead and demand that the um, the executive order be codified into the budget. Because that will scare away the courts on appeals. That will hurt us on appeals. That will show we're being too mean. So they've put all their eggs in groveling before the court, the ninth and fourth circuits, which, by the way, you'll never win there, no matter what. And you will not use the power of Congress, the power of the purse, the power of your majority. I just don't understand it. And by the way, A couple other observations. Again, understanding the expectations. This is an expression of what our priorities are. You start off with your budget. Again, you're not going to, you know, fix the big entitlements and taxes and and big interconnected fiscal schemes in 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 a in a in a government funding bill. But these one-offs, defunding the PLO defunding the Muslim Brotherhood, defunding refugee resettlement, defunding Planned Parenthood, defunding NPR, you know, things like that, one-offs that don't have massive constituencies and won't create a disruption and they're easy to message, they're easy to fight for, you make the Democrats shut the government down. And, And the important thing is, this time, guess who controls the executive branch? Donald Trump. So you could manipulate the actual government shutdown. I actually think not only would... You know, the threat of a shutdown hurt Democrats, but a shutdown itself would be good because this way, you know, Obama, if you remember, he manipulated it and gratuitously, you know, um, pain people would shut down popular monuments and national parks when he didn't have to do that. Um, But here we could shut down their stuff. And by the way, only 17 percent don't show up. So you could actually (laughs) this is a place for Trump to if he cared about his own budget that his own OMB wrote. And he would want to fight for it. This is a way of doing it. Hey, guys, this is the stuff we're defunding, this stuff you don't even notice during a government shutdown because it's meaningless. I mean, I mean, and by the way, they're already saying, oh, this 2017 is already half done. Let's just we're going to get done what we want on 2018. (laughs) Well, let's wait till the next budget battle. Well, if you're scared of getting hit by a parked car now, you're going to get scared later. And, And another thing is the filibuster. The filibuster. You know, if we've reached the point where we're not going to get anything done because we're scared, you, you know what? It's got, they're already getting rid of it on the, you know, for judicial norms. That cannot get in the way. It never gets in the way of the Democrats. Now, just so you know, 
philosophically, I am a very strong supporter of the filibuster. Thomas Jefferson put it in place. It was a way to cool the saucer. But the problem is, you know, John McCain says when we get rid of the filibuster, it's the destruction of the Senate. No, the destruction of the Senate was when we stopped forcing the minority party to actually filibuster. This virtual filibuster thing that you could just phone it in and not do anything is nonsense. There's a way to get around it. It's called the two-speech rule. You actually force them. You could limit the minority party to two speeches a day. So you have to have two guys willing to speak for hours every day. Now, look, if they did that on every issue, they'd wear down the calendar. Maybe you wouldn't be able to get everything done. But a couple of our big priorities, if you limited to that, you'd wear them down and you'd eventually get your stuff passed. You'd pre- preserve the filibuster for things that, you know, when we're in the minority. But again, you guys know when we're in the minority and Democrats, if they would control the House, think about the political climate that would give rise to such an eventuality for, for Democrats to take over the Senate, White House, and House. Do you think they'd let the, the filibuster get in the way? The filibuster is as good as gone. So we're not going to benefit from it ever again when we're in, in, in the minority. But this can't get in the way. That's what I'm saying. We've reached the point where the, the walls of the Constitution have been breached. The firewall has been breached. So the filibuster is no longer a saucer that cools populist unconstitutional stuff against the Constitution. It, no, it's the opposite. It, we, we've already done, and, and we can't use the budget as the last refuge to save the Constitution because of, again, it's not the filibuster, but it's the way the Republicans hide behind it because they don't actually enforce the rules of the Senate. Um, it, it's got to be done. You can't you, – you're never going to get more power than you have now. And if you're telling me – so why am I telling you all of this? This is all to say – that this proves incontrovertibly. They don't share our values. It's not that they're too stupid, they're terrible negotiators, although they kind of they are bad negotiators. You can't get hit by a parked car. You can't lose a budget battle when you have all three branches of government. That's nuts. It shows that all along. Again, what's winning and losing? They're not losing border funding because they don't believe in the border fence. They're not losing the refugee battle because they don't believe in defunding refugee resettlement. They're not losing the Planned Parenthood battle because they don't believe in defunding it. And in fact, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They don't really care ideologically or morally about it, but they want it as a fundraising issue. Oh, you know, they send out emails, let's defund Planned Parenthood. But once you actually do it, then you you lose the fundraising tool. So this this is what I mean. They don't share our values. So this is the party that's promoting Neil Gorsuch as the second coming and expending all this political capital on him. And again, I'm not, I don't have time to get to this, but the guy's a moderate. Sorry to tell you. I mean, all this brouhaha over him, it's amazing. And with Obamacare repeal, it's the same problem. They don't share our values. They don't believe in it. So all these negotiations, well, maybe what Freedom Caucus, what if we gave you this or that? You're not giving us anything. This is all an end run. This budget battle demonstrates. It's amazing. Never in the history of parties did you control all the branches of government. And not only don't you get everything you want on the budget, you don't get anything you want. That doesn't happen on its own. 
That doesn't happen because of bad negotiations or certain circumstances. That is a party that incontrovertibly doesn't believe in what we believe in. There's a lot more to get to. I want to end off um, in addition to, by the way, Mark Levin and Steve Dace have been on fire. And if you want to see me on Steve Dace, I can't send out clips um, if you are not signed signed in and registered because it's beyond a paywall. 99 bucks in a year. It is the best. If you pay for any political content, that's what you want to pay for. Go to CRTV.com. Get your subscription. But I want to introduce you guys to a new um, sponsor, and that is Birch Gold. Now, before some of you roll your eyes, oh, that's conservative radio, you know, promoting gold. Number one, you know, we we spoke about how money makes, makes the world go around. And the reason why Republicans are terrible and even conservative organizations is because of their donors. So, you know, the reason why we never sell out and we never will sell out, sell out and I will tell you the raw truth of how I believe even if I have no friends left on the Hill, is because we have that flexibility, because we're not owned by any of these interests. So if you have, if, if there's a private entity that is willing to sign their name on what we do, that is very telling about their values. I've said that before with some of our other sponsors. That's number one. But number two, with stock markets hitting record highs daily, <laughs> there's nowhere to go. And and the, and frankly, the economy, it's a bubble. The economy doesn't sustain that, and it won't sustain that. The only way to hedge against inflation, market uncertainty, and in fact, what we know is coming, is a fiscal calamity. I have a piece on this. Um, I'm going to link to in the show notes on the CBO report. We are becoming Greece. There is no way around it. The interest on the debt within 5, 10 years, not just 30 years, but 5, 10 years, is going to become the fastest growing part of the federal budget. The dollar will never recover in the long run. I know it's recovered a little bit, interest rates rising now, but keep in mind the interest rates rising are only good if you have fiscal solvency. But if you have a debt, it just makes the debt more expensive. So nothing is better than physical gold. In the short run, it's gone down a little bit after going up for 15 years. But not just in terms of purchasing the actual metal itself, which you can do under Birch Gold, obviously, they, they deliver it right to your door, and you got a piece of gold. But what I'm actually more into, because you guys know I will never pitch you on something I have never done yet. So I want to tell you where I am on this and why I, I want you guys to take a look at this. You know, everyone in my family was a financial planner. I'm, I, I originally majored in finance, but went into politics. But this is where my passion is. Um. I'm more into their IRS, I'm sorry, their IRA program. You know, I know many of you in the waning days of tax season, you might owe the federal government some instead of getting back. I know a lot of you guys are small business owners. Um, You know, I usually owe the IRS instead of getting back money in April. And you're like, screw it, I don't want to give them money. So the way to do that is, you know, if you have an HSA, you could dump more money into that. But the biggest thing is to dump more money in an IRA. IRAs are long-term, they're for, for retirement. There is nothing better long-term than gold. That, that, that you guys all know, long-term, that is always a safe bet. And frankly, where we're headed, that's, it's really going to be a hedge, unfortunately. You know, I, don't want, I, I wish gold wouldn't be doing that good against the dollar, but 
long-term, you read my CBO piece, you will see that is the only place to go. So Birch Gold Group, long-standing track record of success, thousands of satisfied clients, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, they, they, they will give you, they have IRA funds. They will dump the gold investment into an IRA and keep that for you for your um, retirement or an eligible 401k. So what I want you guys to do is this, and this is where I'm at now. I have not done it yet, but just get your free information kit, both on the physical precious metals investments from our friends over at Birch Gold and also on their IRA plan. It's a 16-page guide, reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you could legally move your money, your IRA, out of risky stocks into precious metals. And again, you know, I wouldn't put all your money into that. Leave money in stocks. Try out a little bit, just 10%. That's what I'm looking at now. I'll let you know when I pull the trigger, but it's free, no obligation. Go to birchgold.com forward slash CR. That's birch, B-I-R-C-H, gold.com forward slash CR. And you will get your free kit. It, it, it doesn't hurt. It could only help. I'm struggling with what to do with the markets at all-time highs. And, you know, gone are the days when you could get 6% in bonds and treasuries. There's nowhere to put the money. I have my money in Ally money market getting 0.8%. Um, definitely long-term investment. There's nothing better than gold, and it will sadly, sadly, it will get a lot better due to the Greece-like economy we are going to be confronted with. So they are honored to be a sponsor. I'm honored to support them, and I'll let you know, um, you know where where I'm personally headed with this because I will not sell you something that I personally don't believe in, as you guys know, just like I don't do politically. Anyway, I've gone overtime here. Don't forget the budget battle. That is that is the biggest issue of this week. Thanks so much. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.